You are on trend with the Alumni Trending Podcast. My name is Paul Clifford, and throughout my career in higher education, my mission has been to connect alumni to what they love most about their alma mater and to activate them in ways that support the aspirations of the institutions I have served. As advancement professionals, we are leading a movement, a mobilization of alumni in support of education for a lifetime. On this podcast, you will hear the voices leading our profession, advancing our institutions, and keeping higher education strong around the world. You are going to learn and be inspired by the passion and purpose driving these advancement professionals right here on Alumni Trending. What's up, trendsetters? Welcome to the Alumni Trending Podcast. I am excited about today's guest. Today, we are going to visit with Dr. Yannette Thomas. She is a globally acknowledged thought leader, urban health champion, and an advocate for valuing the health of women and girls as an economic imperative. A social epidemiologist and medical sociologist, she founded Urban Health 360, an NGO focused on health or urban health of urban populations in the global south and has served as the chief of epidemiology at the NIDA NIH uh, held academic positions at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine and Howard University as the vice president for research following her passions she founded strategic transitions LLC to help individuals at all stages of their journey make strategic and professional transitions while keeping their passion alive. Please welcome to the podcast, Dr. Yannette Thomas. Dr. Thomas, how are you today? Paul, I'm delighted to be there, be here. Thank you for inviting me. You have such deep roots in higher education. Can you take us a little bit through your career? So um, higher education has always been part of my life. Um, my father was a sociologist and a, and uh, a, a lecturer at in in the British system at University of Reading and other universities, and so I learned um, higher education at the dinner table. However, when I was in graduate school, I thought um, I ended up in graduate school because I decided I was not going to go to medical school, and I got I took a class in medical anthropology that really got me energized, and I wanted to learn more about the dynamics of health and populations and and how people's behavior patterns influence health um, individually and and as a group and so that led me down a rabbit hole to eventually medical sociology and demography in graduate school i forgot all about medical school by then and um upon completion of my doctorate i had a choice i i either go through the tenure track route and, and, and become a, a full-time faculty, or I had the chance to work on a national research demonstration project um, that covered 24 cities across the United States. And that stoked me. I chose that track because I wanted to understand the dynamics of people in community living. We study them, we, we teach about them, but what does it mean? And how does the, the science and the literature reflect what's happening on the ground. And so that um, led me in that direction, um, uh, led me to the National Academy of Sciences and, and then to the National Institutes of Health, 
um, uh, where I spent more than a decade and, um, you know, led a number of programs um, related, foundational programs, started a, a lot of scientific um, exposés on issues related to the social epidemiology of health behaviors. That said, at both of those institutions, you're heavily involved with academics and faculty. So um, I, could, I continued my engagement there and also was adjunct faculty throughout those, those tenures um, and ultimately ended up um, teaching um, social epidemiology to physicians and medical students at University of Miami Miller School of Medicine, and then subsequently became the um, vice president for research at an academic medical center. So my, my roots are deep in academia, even though I have not followed the tenure track. Um, but given my role over the years, I've always had the role of mentoring and or coaching academics who are in tenure track roles and also wanting to engage the broader societal discourse in the work they're doing. And so, for example, uh, the Ford Foundation Fellowship uh, has a bunch of scholars and I, uh, for a few years, was brought on to talk about non-traditional academic roles. So, um, yes, my role is deep, heavily, um, while I've not been a full-time academic, I feel like I've been swimming in academia in spite of that. You are a little bit different from the guests who normally appear on my podcast. Most of them have been university advancement practitioners. What really stood out to me is your work as a, a coach. You know, one of your passions is coaching people in higher education, helping them to unlock what their passions might be. One of the things that you talked about is a large swath of America that have had their career light bulbs flicker. I, I love the way the way that you that you position that, right? Uh, it's the it, it's the the light bulb flickers and then it gets brighter after after that flicker. Talk a little bit about your coaching, how you're helping your clients tap into and getting that light bulb the flicker for them. So what I focus on is the amp what I call amplifying your signal, the amplification of one signal. Because oftentimes, uh, and mostly it's interesting, I coach a lot of academics. Um, people are in academic pursuits and they also want to do project work and they want to influence a broader array. And the, 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 the complication often comes, how do I do that? So I spend a lot of time showing how important the academic environment is as a, a cusp, a bowl, a, a, a foundational spot from which you can engage different aspects of the research uh, um, higher education discourse without leaving academia. One, you have students and you can engage those students, the kinds of projects they do, the interest areas. You can also become, as an academic, a voice in the broader research community. Um, I often encourage academics who don't think about this to get involved with things being done at the National Academy of Sciences, for example. They're always looking for academicians to be part of committees, to enlighten the broader discourse. Um, the same is true with the National Institutes of Health. For example, there are 27 institutes and centers at the National Institutes of Health, and, and they are always looking for academics to 
review grant applications, um, to inform them about the dynamics. Yes, it's focused on health, but health is not healthcare. Health is health and well-being. So you may be a psychologist, you may be an urban planner, you may be, all these things have impact on infrastructure and society, how people behave, how we respond to behaviors. So there's a range of, of areas in which academics play a role through not just through their publications, but articulating issues related to those publications. Um, you know, even in the popular media, you see an academic like um, Brene Brown. She's a psychologist in social work, but she is making such an impact in the popular culture and the broader society, sharing with other people on how the knowledge that she has as a researcher shows an understanding of life experiences and, and the responses to that. So my role I see is the amplification of the signals that so many people have, whether they're in the department of Ar architecture, we're in this multidisciplinary world where we're bringing architects and, um, and, and um, you know, health professionals and, and other thought leaders together to think of a problem and to construct um, solutions to societal societal issues. And it's a very, um, I think it's a very exciting time for academics and people in higher education in general. Absolutely. And I, I think that's a common theme of the, the colleagues, especially the young professionals that I talk to and that, that I meet with. I'm often encouraging them to think outside of the current role that they that they have, whether it's in alumni relations or in university development. One of the ways that you can invest in yourself and, and contribute to the industry is by preparing to speak at conferences. It's by publishing. Yes. It's by, you know, I started this podcast during quarantine, during COVID work from home, right, as, yes. as a way to contribute to the body of knowledge that exists out there for other yes. professionals to take advantage of. Yes. And I'd like to take use your starting this podcast as a as a an exact example. Where we're talking about the you know COVID-19 has 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 pushed people into this this rethinking of so what does it mean? How do I how do, how do I fit in this strange world where we're working from home and we're having to do other things? On the one hand, I like it. On the other hand, I wonder, am I connected? How do I stay connected? And your podcast is an example of using technology and our current state to continue to amplify the issues impacting the, the higher ed community um, around Penn State. And this notion of the, the flickering of the career light bulb fits right into that because, you know, the lights are flickering a little bit. It's a chance to think. So I've done this. I'm, I'm, I, I'm moving in this direction. My interests are here. How do I bring all of that together and reignite myself, keep going, still keeping in mind my passion and whether it's teaching students um, um, you know, sharing with my, my fellow colleagues, how do I do that? And so I feel, um, as an epidemiologist, this sounds a little morbid, but COVID-19 has really given us opportunity, opportunity for growth. How do you get your, the people that you work with to listen to what's going on around them, right? I, I would imagine some of your clients are kind of head down, focused on their research because they're 
there's a problem that they're trying to solve. And in some of them, I'm sure their research is how they um, identify as a professional in the world, right? How do you get them to maybe take that, you know, take that beat and listen to where their other passions might be so that they can begin to incorporate all of that together? So oftentimes when people engage with me, they they feel they're beginning to feel a little bit of flickering and a disconnect and wondering. So so I I spend a lot of time um, going through with people the reason you're doing this research, your reason you you went down this path for a reason, and you wanted to influence the thinking, the the science in certain ways. And how have you done that? What more do you think you need to do? Um, and, and what are some new ways in which you can, can continue to do that? So I really get people to, to reconnect with that passion that led them to the profession in the first place. And it's amazing what that does to people. People feel, you know, across the board, people say, you know, I've, I haven't thought, I didn't think about it that way. And yes, I still want to do this. This is why I've been doing, I like my students or I'm influencing here, I'm doing this and I want to, and I want to do this. So it's, it's really, um, reconnecting, um, uh, reigniting, um, the flicker is normal. If it doesn't happen, then you should wonder. Um, but it's how you leverage that flickering. You work with professionals across all of their stages. I'm sure that you start to work with professionals that are currently in their PhD programs, and you probably work with folks who are 35 years in the profession. Are there strategies that you have in place? Uh, you know, I'm thinking of the uh, the student who's currently pursuing their PhD to you know incorporate some of these things from the beginning, and then those at the end of their career, right, 30 years into the career. Do you often run up against, well, it's way too late for me to um, to make that kind of shift? Yes, um, all of the above. And so in working with early career individuals, um, it's all, all, all way, the, the difference is they, they know what they want, they see it, but oh my gosh, the challenges are sometimes overwhelming. And do I keep going and why? So it's, it's keeping them connected with that purpose and um staying on the on the mission and showing making sure that your networks are you know networks are important um your why you know um and, and maintaining all of that interestingly enough it's the same for mid-level and senior level individuals because yes mid-level um have a, a, a lot of ground covered and they would have be doing certain things but they're still still there's still more to to be had so many of the people in mid-level feel a little disconnected from their professional for purpose or questioning am i you know feeling a little professionally lost it's the same question but at a different level and with senior individuals um i was talking with one earlier today it's i've done all of this but i'm not done i want help me to think of how i leverage this um and still go in this direction that I want to go in or, you know, or, 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 uh, acknowledge my gains here while I want to explore that, that direction that I've has always been 
niggling at the back of my head that I now want to pursue. So it's, it's the same questions at different levels of maturity. Very, very interesting and, and fascinating. Can you talk about uh, some of the conversations that involve the social inequities and the, the racial injustice that uh, plagues our nation, right? We are not immune to that in higher education. Right, and as you're right. working with your, your clients of color, how do you how do you talk through those things with them that help them to to navigate the realities of what they're going to face uh, throughout their careers? So I, I did a map of the kinds of questions I get asked, whether it's in associations um, of academics um, who are a range of diverse populations or or. Um, academics um, at institutions like Howard and other institutions, the, the issues that often come up are oftentimes the same, feeling disconnected from the professional purpose, but the added issues of being isolated from your peers, you know, feeling, you know, who, who do I know to trust? Do I trust my colleagues? Um, I'm going up for tenure and I'm not sure. Should I get more? Because I've seen other ones who don't look like me, who didn't have much, but they made it. But, you know, I look the way I do. Maybe I should get a lot more to make sure I make it. And, you know, the issues of collaborating, of networking. You know, I, I mentioned what my promotion package should look like, you know, and, and the whole peer interaction. And I always come back to reminding individuals, what is your core and what is your purpose? What's the why, why you're doing this? And who are your trust? Look at, understand your trusted network, who you, who you can rely on to share. Obviously not all of your colleagues are, uh, you, you will share your, 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 your pearls with, but making strategic um, alliances. Academia is a, a, a microcosm of the broader society. So the same issues uh, arise and articulating your point and the issues impacting the particular populations you're interested without, we're human beings, so we, we are emotional, but first going down the objective path and have clarity. What are the three main questions? For example, my neuroscience colleagues would say, think in terms of three. What are the three main questions I'm articulating here? Why? What's the evidence? So you always have that at the forefront. And you, if you lead with that, the emotional arguments um, um, become not just emotional, but they're emotional that are are supported by evidence. So it's a complicated scenario. This is a society in which we live. Um, we're tribal. There's all this stuff going on, these dynamics. But in acad as academics, we play a role in spite of what's happening now of informing the current process and the future process. So I, my role is to help the individual or group of individuals work in that space, knowing that a lot of stuff is going on around them and will happen. But if there's that core of credibility and a feeling of stability in their knowledge space, they're better able to um, deal with the, you know, the challenges that surround them. So I would imagine that, you know, there, there is a, um, yeah, a healthy tension, if you will, between the individuals that you work with and 
them wanting to pursue their passions and, and meld their passions together and navigating all of that with, uh, with supervisors and with people, yes. with people that they report to that might have a different vision for the yes. work that they should be involved in. How yes. do you help them manage those relationships and bring the understanding of their why to the workplace? So again, it, it's that tension between the emotional self which we all have, it's not leading off with that. I, 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 my role in their lives is to be that sounding board, to be that voice. I often say to the many people I, I coach, um, okay, scream at me, you know, give it to me and let it all out. And then now we can go back and look at what the objectives are, what your why is, and how you articulate that. And, you know, that comes back, that goes back to my training um, at the NIH. I'd have, um, I remember um, he and I are great friends these days, and he is a celebrated researcher. Um, one, one colleague um, submitting a grant application to the NIH, and I was a young um, program officer at the time, just, you know, fresh and hot. And, and I, my senior colleagues were passed him on to me. And I remember sitting and he was at a, a very prestigious institution in the New York City area at the time. And I remember in my office sitting, um, we had um speaker phones only then, no, no mobiles, and um letting him rant. And he went on for 30 minutes about why the scientific community did not know what they were talking about. He was the only one who knew that science and what he wrote was the science and why they should have given him a better score. And he gave 30 minutes of that and he was just rambling. And I listened and he said, are you there? And I said, yes, I'm here. And he says, so what do you think about that? And I said, I absolutely agree with you. So now that we've gotten that out, let's deal with the issue of responding appropriately to the application. <laughs> and, you know, he always reminds me about that because he said that that was such a, um, a moment of clarity for him. And I use that approach with, with, with everybody I coach. Um, I'm not saying that the problem is not there and, and it's not a critical issue, but um, if you lead off with the emotional piece of it, you lose the jewels and the nuggets that you bring to the argument, your why and how this should be done. And what are the three things? I'm not saying that, that, um, you will always get your way, but it's a building. Over time, you are better off for that. So we have a tradition here on the Alumni Trending Podcast where we let our guests have the final word on the profession or on higher education. And so where do you see us trending in higher education and in particular empowering our professionals to kind of lean into the when their career light bulb flickers. So if you read the Chronicle, higher education is somewhat in chaos, um, depending. Um, um, I just read that Ohio State and another institution are hiring over 400 faculty members when others are hemorrhaging. So it's, it's an up and down scenario. What we have to do as academics and higher education officials is to stay the course. Remember the core, why we're here, why we're doing this, and um, and just focus on the why, stay the course, and 
recognize that this role in higher education will continue to be critical over our life course. Dr. Thomas, if uh, others are interested in learning more about you and the work that you're doing, where can they find that information? Um, They can um, uh, go to my LinkedIn profile, which I shared that link with you. I also, they can email me. I actually do read all of my emails, ythomas at yff as in Frank Thomas, dr for doctor.com. And, um, you know, I sent the link to my website. I actually have a professional Instagram page and a Facebook page. um, And I really use my LinkedIn to engage with uh, so many others. And I post a lot of higher education uh, articles through LinkedIn. So um, I really use LinkedIn as my aggressive platform for engaging. And I respond to every, I learned this phrase recently, and don't laugh at me. I I respond to every DM that I get. I did not know DM meant direct message, but I now know that. (laughs) There you go. We will put all of those links in the show notes for you if you're interested in learning more about the great work that Dr. Thomas is doing to help people uh, kind of look out for that flicker and, and take advantage of it when it does happen for them. Thank you so much for joining us on the Alumni Trending Podcast. Thank you for having me, Paul, and this has been quite enjoyable. I'm John Fudo, Vice Chancellor for University Advancement at UMass Lowell, and I'm staying on trend by listening to the Alumni Trending Podcast. There you go, Trendsetters, another episode of Alumni Trending. If you are enjoying the Alumni Trending Podcast, make sure you go out to iTunes or your podcast app of choice and give us a rating and drop us a review. We'd also love to hear from you. Drop me an email at paul.clifford at alumnitrending.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in and keep trending.